0: everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wake Up and Grow. I am your host, Natalie Biddinger, and today's episode is titled The Twelve Days of Christmas. So this episode is going to be a little different um, than normal, in that I'm not taking a specific passage of scripture and dissecting it. I'm actually taking an old Christmas tradition and analyzing it and dissecting that instead, but with scripture. If that makes any sense. But anyways, I'm gonna be taking this 12 days of Christmas tradition, or it, was, it used to be called Christmas Tide, um, but I'm gonna be analyzing that tradition and kind of seeing how we can revive this Christmas tradition and apply it to our modern day lives as Christians. But like I said, this week's episode will be focusing on the 12 days of Christmas and kind of I'll be touching on that song (laughs) that we all have stuck in our heads um But I first kind of want to start with the history of this tradition, just to kind of give you like a baseline to know where this kind of all came about. So it's not just a song, a carol, it's a traditional celebration that lasted 12 days. The song in and of itself um, was originally written for the 15th century, sort of, in France, and it was originally written as a memory game. You know how you you go through the song and you'll start with just the partridge in a pear tree and then you add on all the other things and then you go backwards listing it forth and backwards. That's what it was originally written as in France. There are many people in different sources that believe that this song was then used later on um, by persecuted Catholics during the Catholic and Protestant conflict around the 16 to 1700s as a way to teach and secretly spread their faith. If you don't know much about that era, it's very complicated. (laughs) I I can't tell you how many rabbit trails I went down trying to get all the details I could um, about this conflict between the Catholics and Protestants. But just to give you the gist, during those time periods, around the 1600s to 1700s, there was some political conflict between the kings and parliament. And so there was a flipping back and forth of the king's stance in their religion, whether they were Catholic-based or Protestant-based, and it was a mess unlike any other. But at one point in time, the Protestant faith was the head faith over in England, and I can't remember for the life of me, I should have written it down and I didn't, during this time one of the kings outlawed Catholicism and the practice of Catholicism because it didn't line up with his personal standards and so there were Catholics in England that were persecuted because of their faith but anyways if this song truly was used as a way to secretly spread the Catholic faith the idea with it is that each of the 12 gifts correspond with items or persons in the Christian Catholic faith. I also, when researching this, found a lot of sources that said that wasn't true, and trying to, in trying to figure out the truth, I was becoming incredibly confused. So I'm going to list them anyways, and I'm going to kind of leave that up to you, whether you believe it or not, because I was... I was getting a bunch of conflicting information and I didn't know what to believe. It's also, it's a possibility that that song was genuinely used as a secret code, but there's also not a bunch of evidence supporting that. I got confused, but I'm gonna list it anyways. But the focus here is the tradition of the 12 days of Christmas celebration. So let's not lose ourselves in the song with this episode. In general, the celebration lasted from Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, depending on, it depended on when you started. It either lasted from Christmas Eve to January 5th, or Christmas day to January 6th but it was generally from that week of Christmas to the week of New Year's and this was a celebration marking the span between the birth of Jesus Christ and to the arrival of the Magi which we have concluded as Christians was a few years after his birth probably around when he was like between the ages of three and possibly six. Interestingly, in the four weeks prior to Christmas, and this is including Christmas Eve itself, according to the English Tudor tradition of this 12 Days of Christmas celebration, everyone partook in fasting. This included both rich and poor. And they refrained from consuming specifically meat, cheese, or eggs. And that kind of got me to thinking, why was and is it important to fast as Christians? If you don't know, fasting is one of the ways we remove distractions from our lives in order to more clearly hear, understand, and draw nearer to God. It's not always food that we fast from, you know, that's kind of something between you and God, what it is you fast from. Generally, it is food because that's a good chunk of time that's taken from our day. And most often today, you know, we'll see how this is done by giving up a meal time and replacing it with prayer and devotional time. And we see this talked about in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you." But with this Christmas tradition, these people fasted for four weeks leading up to Christmas. And what they were doing was they were preparing themselves to celebrate the arrival of our Savior Jesus Christ. out of the 12 days of Christmas, the first one is, again, traditionally either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, depending on which uh, culture you look at. But with the English Tudor tradition and culture, which I got most of my information from, it's Christmas Eve is the first of the 12 days. But with this first day. This was the day when everyone in the kingdom would cease their work and begin to decorate their homes with evergreen plants. This included ivy, mistletoe, holly, pine, other quote-unquote evergreens. Evergreens are plants that stay green throughout the year, even during the winter time. And these symbolized eternal life. So they stopped work that day and they didn't pick up work until after this whole 12 week or 12 week, 12 day span of celebration. Interestingly, uh, women would decorate their spinning wheels even with these plants to ensure that they wouldn't use them during this period. Today this is when most churches will have a Christmas Eve service. And during that, you know, there'll be the reading of the Christmas story in preparation for Jesus' birth for tomorrow. For us, what this means is this is an evening where we recognize that our Savior is on the way. And this also lines up with Advent as well. And the fact that there was the waiting period between Mary's pregnancy and the coming of the Savior. The second day of Christmas was typically Christmas Day, the 25th, and in the Tudor English or the English Tudor tradition, this began with a midnight mass in which everyone, servants included, were given that their best clothes, given new clothes to wear. In addition, a large feast was held afterwards, signaling the end of that four week long fast. And whether you're of Catholic faith or not, This is the day on which we celebrate the arrival of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the promise of salvation that he brought with him. The third day of Christmas, December 26th, there was the second feast. There's a couple feasts throughout this 12-day span. Uh, The first one was Christmas Day itself, and then... The next day was the Feast of St. Stephen. If you remember in Acts, specifically chapter 7, verse 51 through 60, I'm going to read that here, but we have Stephen as the first Christian martyr. And he was also one of the seven men chosen to care for the poor by the remaining Of Jesus' disciples after Jesus' death and ascension. And this is in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. We'll go ahead and read that as well. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek speaking believers complained about the Hebrew speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against on the daily distribution of food. So, the Twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them the responsibility. Then we apostles could spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, the Caner, Timon, Harmonus, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid hands on them. And then if you skip over to chapter 7 verses 51 through 60, this is the death of Stephen. this is stephen speaking you stubborn people you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth must you forever resist the holy spirit that's what your ancestors did and so do you name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute they even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one the messiah whom you betrayed and murdered you deliberately disobeyed god's law even though you received it from the hands of angels the jewish leaders were infuriated by stephen's accusation And they shook their fists at him in rage. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing in the right place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. So because of Stephen's heart for the poor, and because he was the first Christian martyr, the tradition was to honor him with this feast, but to also use this day as a day of charity and giving to those in need out of one's surplus. A lot of these traditions, when I was reading about them, got me to think about how we have fallen so short. And this one specifically got me to asking questions like how often do we stop and take stock? of what we have and then consider what we can give away out of that. How often once December 25th has ended do we consider those in need or do we just move on with our lives? We are commanded to care for the poor. We see in John chapter 12, verse 8, says, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And then in Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. How can you give to someone in need this Christmas season? The fourth day, December 27th, was the Feast of St. John. And this is John the Apostle uh, not John, the, not Saint John the Baptist. Just in case you got confused, but there's this legend in which John the Apostle supposedly drinks a poisoned cup of wine, but doesn't die. And this is one of the origins of this festive tradition called Wassailing. And this was essentially when a large bowl or cup of wine would be passed around the home and everyone would take a drink from it hailing to each other's good health. Whether this legend is true or not, I'm not going to think too hard on it. There's there's really not any proof, but regardless, this is a tradition in which I am reminded of communion in the Last Supper. And it got me thinking how we often reserve communion for Easter and the crucifixion. But that this act of sacrifice was the, was the reason Christmas exists. That's why Jesus came as a baby. He came so that he could die. His flesh was born to be broken. And his blood to be spilled for us. This, this is the light of the world that John describes in his gospel, in that first chapter, the light that shines forth in the darkness of our sin, and it's one that can never be extinguished. In the beginning, the word already existed. on December twenty eighth was called I'm gonna pronounce this weird, but Childer Mass or the Feast of Holy Innocents. And this was the day on which people remembered the children who were murdered under King Herod in his search for the baby Jesus. If you remember that part of the Christmas story, King Herod was jealous, you know, he he thought Jesus was going to be king as he is king, when in actuality Jesus was going to be king through God. And so King Herod sent out a decree similar to that of Pharaoh back in Exodus, in which every firstborn male was to be killed. these children weren't martyred like Stephen, giving up their lives willingly for Christ. Their lives were taken unjustly from them before they had a chance to will or to know. But they died for Christ nonetheless. And during this day, this feast, we remember those children who are victims of war abortion, and abuse. Those who lost their lives before they had a chance to fully understand and accept Jesus as their Savior. Those who had not reached the age of accountability. We also take this day to renew our faith and to make it align with that of the faith of a child. If you turn to Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, we see that Jesus highly valued children specifically for their faith. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, Let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. The faith of a child is the faith that Jesus looks for in his followers. And so this isn't just a day of remembering the children who have died. This is a day in which we renew our faith to be a childlike faith. In addition, we remember that like those children who were murdered by Herod, We are saved by God's mercy and grace alone. Not our good works. These children had no option or choice, opportunity to do good works. And yet, I wholeheartedly believe that all of them are in heaven. Because of God's mercy and grace. December 29th through the 31st aren't given any specific celebration or tradition. In all of the sources I looked at, they there's no specific action taken on these days. But I can assume and conjure up the idea that more than likely these days were used in preparation for New Year's Day, January 1st. And while January 1st is the first day of the new year on our traditional calendar, the church calendar doesn't renew then. It's a different date. But January 1st in the church calendar is the day on which Jesus was circumcised um, according to the Jewish tradition the male was circumcised on the eighth day after the child's birth and we see this in Luke chapter 2 when he is brought to the temple by his parents and is met by Simeon who is a prophet and then a female prophet named Anna But this is also a day when Jewish children are publicly given their name. We know that the angel Gabriel told Mary, hey, you're going to name the child Jesus. So she thus has a name for him, but publicly the Jewish child's name was not given until the eighth day after their birth. Interestingly, the name Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, and both of those names translate to mean, the Lord will save. The name of Jesus has immense power behind it. I've done a a whole episode on just his name, if you want to go back and listen to that, but this is the reason why we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so this is a day where we celebrate the name of Jesus and the power he has to save us. The second Sunday after Christmas, kind of backtracking here, but (laughs) um, is commonly used to celebrate the humanity of Christ. How he willingly came down to earth and lived a mortal life for us. How he experienced the same things we've experienced. How he gave up his life for us. The fact that our almighty God became one of us. Then there is the epiphany. This is again either January 5th or January 6th depending on which day you start on whether christmas eve or christmas day either way this is the day that is used to recognize the coming of the magi now why is that so important so the magi were not jews we were pretty certain about that in terms of their origin they were gentiles and yet they were still seeking a savior Traditionally, the Jews were God's people. And if you continue reading through the New Testament into um, the letters of Paul, you'll see that he addresses this and how that wall was broken down by Jesus. But it was very rare and conflicting when a Gentile would try to join the Jewish faith. And yet, even at Christ's birth, we have Gentiles seeking the Savior. And they were following that star in the sky, which would light their way and show them where he was born, or where he was. Though January 6th or January 5th signifies the end of the cycle of Christ's birth story, this is not the end of his work. And just like the Gentile Magi, our world is searching for a savior in the dark. We are to be that star in the dark, pointing them to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. The light of Christmas doesn't end when the snow melts away or when the festivities come to an end. It lives on and shines through us. This Feast of Epiphany duly closes Christmastide, the 12 days, and opens the season after Epiphany, which is called the Ordinary Time. Now, the term ordinary is not being used here to diminish the time is unimportant, but it is to show us that our ordinary lives are filled with the light and love of God and are the places where He works. So I know just threw a bunch of information at you about these 12 days of Christmas. But how can we celebrate this holiday correctly in a way that honors our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I've come up with a couple things. First being we can turn our attention from the addictive consumer culture of our society and turn it towards the act of giving as Jesus did with his life. Second, we can intentionally utilize the preparation period of Advent to remind ourselves of why Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. Third, we can focus more on displaying the light of Christ versus the lights we decorate our homes with. Those lights are fine and dandy and beautiful, but they They don't compare to the light that lives with inside of us. And fourthly, we can choose to learn more about who Jesus was and is, and then teach others about his first and second coming. I pray that this Christmas... You will take the time to let Christ's light shine in and through you. Take this time to really meditate on Advent, on the birth story, on his life in general and on the things he's doing for you and through you now. I want to thank you again for listening and remind you that Wake Up and Grow releases episodes bi-weekly. This is every other Monday. And I encourage you to give Wake Up and Grow a follow on Instagram at WUG Podcast. That's spelled W-U-G Podcast. And go find Wake Up and Grow on Facebook. Again, I'm Natalie Bittinger, and this has been Wake Up and Grow.